Uh, yes, we do. Thank you very much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you have had a, an opportunity to look at the minutes from September the 3rd. Is there a motion on those minutes? Been moved by Ms. Cuffey Glenn, seconded by Mr. Murthy. Thank you. Any discussion? All those in favor? We're unanimous on our minutes. Thank you very much. Mr. Director. Um, Mr. Chair, nothing for me, but uh, Maritza has a brief uh, presentation on Richmond 300, then uh, that'll do it for me. Ms. Peachin, how are you? Hi, Maritza Peachin. <laughs> really funny to sit here. Okay, <laughs> I am the man, the project manager for the citywide master plan. Um, Monday, we will be kicking off our engagement in, for the fall. Um, we have these posters. How do you want Richmond to look and feel in 2037? We actually made ones that are unique to different neighborhoods. How do you want Brooklyn Park Boulevard, Southside Plaza? These are all available at our website, richmond300.com slash share. Um, and then we're having those seven forums. You have the handouts that you got. We're also offering um, these sharing sessions, which we're, we're scheduling still. So we'll send out on Monday next week. We'll have a, a full calendar for those. We have gotten emails from people inviting us to their meetings. Um, so that's something that's working where we're going to go and if someone in the audience has a group that meets, um, please let us know and we'll come and give a five-minute pitch about the master plan. Um, this is a, a really great opportunity for people throughout Richmond to see, learn what the working groups have been up to and provide comment on um, the content that they've drafted so far. So it's very exciting where we are right now with the master plan. Questions from members of the commission? I would encourage all the members of the commission to try to attend at least one of the Richmond 300 forums. These are very informative information. We're about close to two-thirds of the way through yeah. the process now with our goal of April to June of 2020 for consideration by the Planning Commission of the plan itself. So if you want to get up to speed as to where we are in that planning process, please come to one of these forums. They're informative and actually quite fun. Yeah, we will also have the Planning Commission retreat on October 30th. I think it's at 2. I sent all of you guys invites um, where you guys will have more, more time to understand everything that we've created. And again, I know we've all scheduled to be at the retreat, and I think that that would be very helpful for us to understand where we are on the master plan. Any other questions from members of the commission? Thanks, Ms. Peachin. You look good there. <laughs> I like being over there. That's better. Thank you. 
Council action update. Uh, yes, from the September 9th council meeting, the uh, there was a, a full list of ordinances that were recommended for approval by Planning Commission, and Council did um, approve those ordinances as, as recommended by the Planning Commission. Those were the items you heard uh, at your August 19th, as well as your September 13th. Very good, thank you. And do we have any continuances or deletions from the agenda? Not today. Would you then please present the consent agenda? Today's consent agenda consists of item 2, ordinance 2019-222, to authorize the Chief Administrative Officer to accept funds in the amount of $500,000 from the Virginia Resources Authority as Administrator of the Virginia Water Supply Revolving Fund and to appropriate the funds received to the fiscal year 2019-2020 capital budget by increasing revenues and the amount appropriated to the Department of Public Utilities Water Distribution System Improvements Project by $500,000 for the purpose of funding full lead service line replacements in the city. And item 3, UDC 2019-24, uh, conceptual location, character, and extent review of Broad Rock Sports Complex Master Plan at 4835 Old Warwick Road, and that is today's consent agenda. Are there any questions from members of the Commission on the consent agenda? Hearing none, I'll open the public hearing and ask, is there any member of the public who wishes to speak in favor of or in opposition to any item on the consent agenda? Hearing none, I'll close the public hearing, bring it back to the Commission, and ask, is there a motion on the consent agenda? Been moved by Mr. Law, seconded by Ms. Greenfield. Any discussion? All those in favor? We're unanimous on the consent agenda. Mr. Secretary, the regular agenda, please. Uh, yes, we do have one item on the regular agenda. It's presentation number two of the Navy Hill Redevelopment Project. Uh, informational presentation. Again, it's our second presentation. And uh, this presentation will focus on the responses to the questions that were asked at the September 10th special meeting of the Planning Commission. And I would just first confirm that our microphone is working. If it is not, we can conduct some other business before the, the presentation begins. Not, your mic is not working, but you're usually forceful enough without one.
vibrant mixed use. Ooh, there we go. A vibrant mixed use development um, that is part of an arena anchored overall development. Uh, the development agreement also requires a variety of things that are again. Um, developed throughout the, the project blocks, which includes affordable housing dispersed. Um, it has, a, has specific covenants that are recorded against the land, again, all components of that development agreement itself. It requires a convention hotel, as we talked about. That's on block F. And actually, I'll scroll through just to remind you of the overarching master plan. There's a lot of material here, I know, I'll get there. This just gives you a good reminder of everything we talked about last week while I get to the right slide. And the convention hotel, again, is on, on block F. So as you think about these blocks, again, this is about redeveloping as well as reconnecting. And those are um, all of the six ordinances that you will be reviewing. But if you think about each key component, we'll get down. And here's your overall master plan. So block, block F here, that is your convention hotel itself. And in a moment, I will bring up Jack Berry to, to help and talk about the connection of the convention hotel to the arena itself. So in addition, you had Clay Street being reconnected, which we just showed a, a quick glimpse that gets down to the area. You have Sixth Street being required to be reconnected. You have the, the GRTC Transit Center that is all required pursuant to the development agreement itself. You have a requirement for Leeds Silver for the buildings. You have conditions precedent and open space requirements. Um, the conditions precedent, as I mentioned, are 21 total, and that requires that all of the development items, again, that are related to the items we talked about last week, are all included and are um, in good standing. There is a construction contract requirement for the operation and maintenance of the arena itself. There's performance security. There's a room block agreement that has to be fully executed. Again, all requirements of the development agreement. Hotel management contract, flag agreement, design services, pre-construction pre services all executed. The city has to verify the arena demolition plan. Insurance has to be in place. The developer provides performance security. The developer has to show equity contributions and debt term sheets. They have to show that $10 million in philanthropy has been satisfied for that additional tranche of affordable housing, all prior to each block being constructed. Again, these are the blocks that we went through, just to give you a quick overview of befores and after. The only piece that is funded by the bond is the arena construction itself. That is subject to an arena lease. The city acts as the agent for the landlord. The landlord in that situation is the Economic Development Authority. And that's important um, because there is a, this is a non-recourse bond. Um, that means that there's no moral, no general obligation of the city. That means the city is not on the hook. The only thing that repays the bond debt is incremental revenues if they exist, if they are allocated. 
And it's important to, to note that because there's, there's been some discussion, some questions that we've received just as to how, how that works. Again, incremental revenues, all specifically defined in the agreement, if they exist, if they're allocated, then go to repay the bond debt. Now, um, in any given year, then if there's surplus after that, then that is, again, outlined in the documents for 50% to go to repay the bond debt back faster and 50% back to the general fund, which there's an additional resolution identifying the locations of those, of those dollars um, to be provided. And in your packet, um, you'll see some different information. I'm going to start with the convention uh, center itself and the arena and hotel and that interplay. That was the, the first set of questions that were grouped based on what you asked of us last week. Um, again, the arena is used to promote the convention center for business. It has a, a key factor in bringing the conventions, and I'll actually bring Jack Berry up to go into more detail to talk about what, what impact the arena itself as well as the convention hotel has on the convention center um, and, and the surrounding area. So, Mr. Berry, if you don't mind coming up, and you can provide some additional information on that. Good afternoon. I'm Jack Berry with Richmond Region Tourism, uh, and I have two things I want to mention today. <clears throat> The first item is regarding the headquarter hotel. Two years ago, the Greater Richmond Convention Center Authority commissioned a futures study from CSL, Convention Sports and Leisure, and they wanted to see the Convention Center Authority, how do we transform the destination to a bigger destination? And 90% of the study came back two years ago it's all dependent upon this headquarter hotel. And I brought a copies of this study for you, but the key part of this, in just to really cut to the chase, is the lack of hotel rooms we have in the downtown area. We've identified 16 markets and our competition, and we're ninth of the 16 as it relates to how many hotel rooms are in proximity to the convention center. Uh, number one is Baltimore, Louisville, uh, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Columbus, Tampa, Greensboro, finally us, and then below us is Richmond, Memphis, Birmingham, Raleigh, and Hartford. So with that, the easiest way to describe this is two years ago, we hosted a very prestigious international women's convention. It was the same week of September, and there were 4,000 women from all over the world, and the dominant language spoke at this convention was French. It was not an English convention. And the year before it came to Richmond, three years ago, it was hosted in uh, San Diego. And in San Diego, they have a town and country hotel, and the peak room night is only 1,200 rooms. So at the town and country, they easily put the 1,200 rooms at one property. And last year, the convention, it was called a GLOW, moved to Dallas. And for the 1,200-room peak night, they used one hotel in Dallas. Two years ago, for 1,200 rooms to come to Richmond, 27 hotels. We had to supply busing, Richmond Region Tourism put busing to Glenside, to the airport, to the shore pump area, because we did not have enough rooms in the proximity for a simple convention that our competition does this at one hotel. So the study here will kind of break that out a lot easier for you. But when you talk about hotel room blocks, this defines the complete need for this. Uh, 
Now, as Jennifer had mentioned, what's the relationship with the convention center, the headquarter hotel, and the arena? I have three conventions that call me monthly who are ready to sign on the dotted line for 10,000 people for each weekend, for three weekends right now. They represent actually five weekends. So I could almost book 10% of the weekends with the new arena, but I need to have at least 10,000 seats. I need to have a headquarter hotel, but that's just transformational to have 10,000 people converge on the destination. And typically, for us, we call these citywides, we do between 10 and 12. We do about one per month. And so we would anticipate probably at least 10. But right now, I've got three guaranteed as soon as we can commit on the dates for the opening of the arena. That three will go to five, and then the five will become 10. But there's a huge demand and a need for having a major first-class arena com com connected to a first-class headquarter hotel. So thank you for your attention. This shows you the study. Uh, it'll just put us in the next league against this, these top convention destinations. It's page three is what you really want to look at. Be happy to answer any questions. Excuse me. In, in the market of 16 cities that were ranked ninth given the current mm -hmm. number of hotel rooms, when the convention hotel is built, what will that take us to? We'll be moved up by rank from ninth to what? So there's a page, I, I stapled the page on the last page to kind of put it to comparison, and it'll show you how we move up uh, for that. And adding those rooms, you can just do the math, adding 525, if you look at page three, and you add that to that total, that'll show you. But the real key are how many committable rooms you would have, and this would be a huge addition to our market. So that puts us right below Columbus. Okay. And ironically, Columbus is where the chamber is taking the inner city visit. Uh, Columbus is one of the biggest destinations now because Hilton is just putting in a new headquarter hotel adjacent to the convention center. There's a footprint right in Columbus. If you go on the chamber visit, we'll be visiting that. But Columbus has a really good hotel package as it relates to their convention center. Oh, we're better than Columbus. Other questions from members of the commission? Thank you, Mr. Berry. Also, yes, one sir. other item that Jennifer mentioned, which is really, and I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but one of the biggest things about this whole project is the headquarter hotel agreement. And I have in my office over an inch thick of proposals from cities for the last 10 years on how much it cost a city to incentivize a headquarter hotel to come to the convention center. For example, it was in the uh, Virginia pilot recently that the downtown Maine hotel, which is a Hilton product downtown in Norfolk, it was 300 rooms. The city had to put up over $100 million of incentives to have that headquarter hotel there. And we were just in Salt Lake City. They have a headquarter hotel for 700 rooms. That cost $65 million. So what happens is a city will incentivize a flag, which is a Hilton or a Marriott, 
to bring that headquarter hotel downtown. And the agreement, though, is with the Convention and Visitors Bureau, which, which we represent, and that for three years and out, the Convention and Visitors Bureau has the rights to the rooms to book conventions. So it's an agreement that the city would put up monies to protect the room block so that the, they can't do it to transient. So this is how business is done. For the deal here, we have no incentivized monies from the developer. They came to us. They've negotiated with us. We have a three-year, 75% hotel inventory committed to the Rich Convention and Visitors Bureau for outside business three years and beyond. It is unheard of. There's no city that I know of that has an incentivized zero. And I'd be happy to share it. West Palm Beach, uh, this list just goes on and on and on. If you look at any uh, city, Nashville, they have all these incentivized tens of millions of dollars. And then this package, there's no commitment from the uh, dollar commitment, but they do have a hotel agreement with us, which we are ecstatic about. When you say they, were you talking about the flag came to you? Yes, uh, the, the uh, Hyatt Project, yes, the headquarter hotel. Very good. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. As part of the negotiation, Mr. Poole, I want to make sure that is clear. Yes, that, that is correct. That is part of the negotiation and is included, again, in the development agreement that has to be in place prior to the bond going to the market. Uh, so just to, to highlight a couple of other pieces off of your questions, again, in your packet you have uh, the total number of, um, of events that the convention center has as well as there's a second sheet that has multicolored as to broken down into different, different types. Um, in addition, there was a question uh, regarding the capacity of the arena. Um, in your responses, you have the, the, the maximum capacity of the arena, you have the existing capacity or the capacity of what was the, um, the Coliseum when it was open for the maximum capacity. And then you also have an outline, a breakdown of the expected annual attendance and, and events. Um, and so those, those figures you have in front of you. Um, Mr. Murthy asked a question, I believe, with respect to how, um, how smaller regional sports tourism venues in Chesterfield and Henrico would uh, impact the arena itself. And I think important to note one that is highlighting um, sports tourism and as being a, an economic generator, but these are very specific economic development incentive uh, initiatives by those communities, and they, they don't really have any, any relationship with a large venue like the arena that we have um, in our proposal. They, they both exist, again, to do very different things, um, and we see this as only being a positive for uh, the arena as well as the surrounding mixed-use development because you will have a destination attractor in downtown. You'll have, again, a convention hotel where those families could stay. They might come and see a show. They might go to a restaurant um, and just walk around and enjoy all the pieces that, again, are part of this development through um, the requirements in the master plan that, that we have talked about. Uh, Mr. Johannes, I uh, know, is not here, but he asked a, a host of questions regarding uh, the development and how that, how that works. Um, those answers are all before you. There will be different architects for each project. 
Um, those are identified in your responses, um, as well as the, the open space. Again, let me get back to, just to give you an overview of the parcels, just to remind you of what, what comes with this development. Again, the arena is the only piece that is constructed with the bond itself. Um, but if you think about the reconnection component, which again is very important to this development, you know, this is Clay Street here, which doesn't exist, so that gets reconnected and activated. Sixth Street, again, right here, gets reconnected and activated. I'll give you a general overview. And just to think about that, that in turn ties back into what the papers that are in your purview, which is the, the right-of-way um, as well as the uh, swaps of property. So we're going to close certain portion of right-of-way. You can see here in red, in order to create those streets and create that active space, again, all tying back into the Pulse Corridor plan and those, those six tenants, which are in another paper, as we discussed last week, that is before you, which is the um, which is the text amendment to the Coliseum Mall zoning district. Again, that uh, only includes this portion, and it comes down this way right now. And so part of the papers that are before you are to rezone the, the whole of these parcels north of Broad in order to create that master plan development. Again, from a, um, and again, back to one of the, the design questions uh, was, um, was, is there a pattern book involved? And there is not. However, I will say again, back to the development agreement, back to that text amendment, back to all the components that are required of this development, all of those features are actually included in the contractual documents. In addition to the fact of the, the text amendment requiring a plan of development, in addition um, for each of these buildings over 30,000 square feet, which is different than what currently exists. So if you think about the, the connection piece as an overall matter and activating the ground plane, the form of the uses, the holding the corner, all of the pieces that you would typically see in and over in a pattern book itself and talking about what those design features are, the transparency, the, the interaction with the street, the open space requirements, that is all included. And your packet of uh, hard copies that was too large to, to send with the, the responses, there is an open space plan. So you can see the different hierarchy of open spaces uh, that do exist. I'll try to get to an overview for you. Um, and you can see there are different different parklets, um, as well as linear parks tying into the, the pedestrian plaza in front of the arena itself, um, and then moving on down to uh, along Clay Street. Again, that's identified as the, as the primary street frontage. Oops. Might need new glasses. Here we go. Um, so the green identifies some, some public open space areas, but here you have the pedestrian plaza, you have linear parks trying to, to as you straighten out what is Clay Street, because as you recall, Clay Street right now is hindered by a building, then it comes up here. This is the only section open currently. This is the tunnel down below. So we're, we're creating this whole pedestrian street with a, with a combination of pedestrian spaces at the ground plane. This is on top of the GRTC Transit Center here, um, and then tying in 6th Street. And also um, in your packet is a Marshall Street and um, Greater Richmond Convention Center activation plan. Uh, just again, back to what we were talking about with this development, while we 
uh, only control these portions of the development as being the first step in the connection that could be along Marshall Street and reactivating the whole of the street. It could extend 6th Street down to Broad as you connect north-south with those, with those green elements and those pedestrian-oriented developments. Um, and then another question that you had asked was how would construction work? Again, this site, as you think about it in terms of what currently exists, um, it, is, it is pretty insular here. So you can have the construction occurring um, within the streets and you can, we can coordinate that with the city from an internal standpoint without interrupting those businesses around us because there are no residential uh, units located in here and then the businesses are primarily related to government uses as well as um, on the other side of Lee Street, again, you have Biotech Park and you have the, the um, BCU Medical Campus over here to the east itself. And then on the, and again, just to identify the, the other developments that are underway, again, those are primarily based on biotech and the MCV medical campus. Um, those are identified in your, in your responses. Um, VCU has a website at masterplan.vcu.edu, which identifies all of their buildings um, for the future. Um, from a population standpoint, and I, I may bring Ms. Ebert up if she has the, the total workforce size and the, and the radius is required, that is not data that I had, but from a VCU standpoint, there are 7,500 workers and 4,000 students only on this um, medical campus here. Um, perhaps we'll supplement that with the, with the radius on the workers in the, um, in the one-fourth mile as well as one-half. Uh, from a transportation standpoint, again, you have, um, we are reconnecting that street grid. So there was a question as to how that would work during peak travel time. Um, again, you'll see in your answers, peak, the peak periods of traffic demand are generally, again, during the AM and PM commutes. Um, and then there's a third peak of traffic, interestingly, here with the, with the VCU Health Campus that occurs later in the morning. Um, this traffic um, is, is able, we believe, to be handled within the, the new constructed street grid. It's able to be handed, handled currently when we redevelop this area. Any event traffic at the arena would typically fall outside of those peak periods. Um, and then in addition, we'll be doing a, um, a traffic impact study that has the scope is to to do north, south, east, west, identify 30 intersections in this area just to make sure that that flow um, needs, is, is working appropriately and if there are any, any signal timings that need to change. But I will note in addition that this, this development, in addition to reconnecting the street grid, it's also important to note that it is, um, it is in line with the, with the Vision Zero as the new street um, cross sections. So you have that pedestrian oriented street design to ensure that you have the multimodal um, ways to get around the city as well. And that ties back into um, 
the question regarding reducing vehicle miles traveled. So not only is it the mixed-use development that we talked about, but also with the restoration of the street grid, all those pieces play um, together in order to have services for the existing workforce that is already downtown, the existing residents, as well as attracting new residents and new workers in order to have that, that live work and play environment, as well as the multimodal opportunities with the pedestrian-oriented design, the GRTC Transit Center as well. Um, and there was a, just following up on the Transit Center, in your packet, you'll see um, the study that we had talked about with the alternative locations for that. Um, and so you can flip through that. We're happy to answer questions as you've had a chance to, to go through those. Um, again, just back to the, the ideas that we had and trying to work with the GRTC program to make sure that it all fit. Um, and we think now fits in a, in, a, in a great way within the development itself with um, in the center of the development together with the, the ground plane that has the active services as well as that um, open space that is, that is incorporated with it as well. Um, the distance, the station at 9th Street for the Pulse is in front of City Hall. The shelter is two blocks long, so that's approximately an 800-foot walk from the southeast corner of the proposed transit center to the shelter. Um, and then I think the last piece, and I'll get to the, the other cities that we had talked about, there was some data that was requested regarding the other cities' size and relationship to Richmond since they had similar fact patterns with buildings that existed and then in periods of decline those buildings were taken down, parking lots put up in their, in their place and how that, um, that area, those areas were, were redeveloped using arena-based districts. So let's start here. So this is Kansas City. Uh, so Kansas City size was approximately 36.8 acres. Again, that's to the center line of the street, so that, that's encompassing all, which you'll, you'll notice when I get to Richmond um, itself. So Kansas City in 2010, it had a population of about 450,000 people, with 2 million in the surrounding area. And again, just to, to reorient you um, for what Kansas City did with their mixed-use development here flip through these quickly since we went through them. Again, blue represents parking lot. So this is just time lapse. Orange represents development. You can see the arena there coming out. And so this is an end result of the vibrancy that came out of that arena-based district. Allentown. Um, Allentown is 34.5 acres. That outline is shown in red. Um, it had a population of 118,000 in 2010 with a metro area of 827. And again, this is Allentown, blue parking lot, orange represents the development, the mixed-use development that came with the arena-based design. And these, this had the before and after shots, similar features with parking lots turning into the vibrant mixed-use community. And then you'll see with Richmond, Richmond has a acreage total, again, center line to the streets of 32.6 acres. To get to the mixed use development overall. So again, blue is parking lot, orange represents development. 
and then you get to what we are proposing, which is, again, the arena-based mixed-use development area. So again, this is the 32 acres includes portions of the property, obviously, that we are not um, purchasing. These are the, the existing city parking decks that remain um, and going to the center line of the street. But again, all back to, to the key pieces that are before this, this commission, which are those six ordinances um, that do create the mixed-use development that tie directly into the Pulse Corridor plan as well as the downtown plan um, that were, were recommended by this body and approved by city council. I'd be happy to answer any additional questions that you may have. Um, and if you do have questions uh, after the hearing, again, if, if you want to pass those through Mr. Ebinger, uh, we can circle back on, on any of those pieces also. Questions from members of the commission for Ms. Mullen. Mr. Thompson. The um, additional affordable housing um, yes. that is going to be managed by Better Housing Coalition can you elaborate on how that's being funded and where that would be built? Sure. Um, so that is, again, another component of the development agreement itself. And so okay. prior to the bond funding, uh, we have to show that $10 million in philanthropy has been raised. And so they use that $10 million in philanthropy with their stack um, of sources. So they'll, they will use low-income housing tax credits, depending on the project, 4% and 9%. Um, in order to get to, um, and, and their additional financing sources, in order to get to the equivalent of 200 additional affordable units. And their affordable units, again, typically are ranged between the 40% um, and the 60% area median income. And that can be located between Belvedere and 95, 95, and 195, so the all of downtown. And that's where the project will be built within those boundaries? That's correct. Okay. But no site's been identified? No site yet. Okay. Okay. So it's it's all being raised through low-income housing tax credits and private fundraising? Or I guess I'm just so, a little confused on how that's... Sure. So the, the $10 million in philanthropy is, is purely philanthropy. So that okay. is... Um, just checks being written for affordable housing for Better Housing Coalition required okay. by this document. Okay. Um, the Better Housing Coalition, much like affordable other affordable housing developers, use a whole stack of sources. The last deal that I did, I think, had 26 sources total. Okay. And of this 26, that's where the, the, the 10 million philanthropy is very, um, very helpful for them to get, get the project out of the ground because that, that allows right. them to have... The, that funding in place and ready to go. Um, and so then they'll, then on top of that, they'll go and um, seek low-income housing tax credits for the project also. Okay. Other questions from members of the commission? Mr. Marthy? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for the follow-up answers to the questions last week, and I have just a few more just related to um, one item, and that would be the circulation. And understanding one is the timing. So we'll understand that there'll be a uh, traffic impact analysis performed. Will that come? Will the results of that be provided to commission prior to any type of vote related to the ordinances? I, I didn't hear your whole question, but I think you said, "Will the results of the traffic impact study be provided prior to the any planning commission's vote?" Yes. Uh, no, so that is done on a before the development gets underway because you, the planning commission does. This is not like a special use permit. This is not a, 
a specific one item project. We do have a, um, get to the, again, just to remind you, so we do have the, the requirements for the reopening of the street grid, um, as well as knowledge that the streets have additional capacity currently. Um, so from a, from a traffic study, it's more just making sure uh, that the, the elements that are required under our development agreement, which include the streetscape cross-sections, I'm not getting to the right slide, but so it, the, the pedestrian sidewalks, that the cross-section is the width. So if you think back to those cross-sections that we showed last meeting, mm -hmm. so ensuring that those widths are appropriate and that we have the signalization um, timing correct yeah. in, in connection with the, the, the projects that have already gone forward. So the city has data on those projects, which are in the near vicinity of Eva Hours. So there's a lot of information that's already known on those intersections right. that will play into the development, which is part of the plan of development process, you know, as you know, as you yeah. go through that planning process. So what you should know is that that's required by the, the contract document itself, in addition to um, the, the plan of development process to ensure that circulation exists yeah. um, and is performing appropriately. In addition, we also know just from, from other data around that the streets can handle that additional traffic. I, you know, this, this downtown area core, as you think about other pieces as you go south that actually have um, more development on them, the, the city grid works for that, that situation. Okay. Um, that's good to know and understand. So related to, there's a lot of reference to that very giant binder. Um, and just curious that from, uh, is there coordination as we think about, not just circulation, but think about BRT and Pulse? Mm -hmm. and getting people in and out of there. Is there, is there that document have parameters defined as to how that's coordinated, communicated, ensuring that there's enough volume to be able to get people in and out of the city via the BRT? Is that within the development agreement? Uh, so by the BRT, the capacity on the buses? The, pro the process of coordinating. So if we know we're going to have, you know, there's, there's 406,000 people at, the convention center is here, and we add another yes. 400,000 people. Yes, is the answer to your question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, so as part, again, as part of, and it's, you know, it, it, as part of the studies that go on, it's not just with the, the Department of Public Works and the traffic engineer. So you're not just talking to the, the right. traffic engineer, you're talking to the pedestrian coordinator. We're working, obviously, with GRTC very closely as we work through this development. Um, the arena operator themselves will be working on traffic management because they know how they know what the flow is as people come in and out, depending on the types of events. So all of that is a coordinated process. You know, again, um, outside of the papers that are before you, but I certainly understand the the concern, and I think that that goes back to those six principles. Be great if it just flipped to that slide, but it didn't. Um, so it goes back to those six principles when you think about it from the Pulse Corridor Plan, which was specifically designed around urban development, right? So you have all those pieces in order to make sure that when you build your 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 downtown back from areas that that are currently parking lots or underutilized buildings, that you are doing it in a way that that has all those characteristics in order to um, provide appropriate space for, for vehicles, but also pedestrians and also 
encourage the, the walking and the biking and the different components that get people in and out of downtown? Well, and no, my question comes from making this best, not a pick. Yes, oh, absolutely, and we certainly we agree, and I think that's where all the 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 key pieces that were were enumerated, not only in the the text amendment to the Coliseum Mall district, but also the master plan and how those how those buildings work together, so that you do have um, you do have a critical mass and in a particular location, so then you can move through the development in an organized manner. Which again goes back to the, another benefit of this being a, a master planned arena based development, so that you have that energy, um, you have the energy on block A, you have the uses that are required to be to be around that, to create that core, and then you have the sequencing that's all provided within the, the master schedule as well as the master plan itself. Um, has there been a I'm, I'm focusing a lot on cars, unfortunately. Sorry, Max. Um, but parking at parking study. I mean, as you think about um, sure, this is going to be. You know, if you look at today's traffic patterns, look at today's parking. It's if you look at Scott's edition five years ago, you couldn't use the same analysis because it's now completely packed. And here you have uh -huh. a high density development, right. and you have a very functioning convention center. So how does all that interact? Sure. Uh, so as part of our original proposal, and I don't have those figures in front of me right now, but um, I can get that to you, we did look at the existing parking garages. So again, if you just think about the, get back to this, the, these parking garages, if you have parked in them, are underutilized. Um, and so those where the part of this development is to um, use existing assets and make them more performing. So taking underperforming assets and, and using different strategies in order to encourage people who are driving downtown and perhaps parking on the street for free to park in the parking decks and free up or parking in surface parking lots and park in the parking decks. Again, all back to those core tenants of the Pulse Corridor Plan, which is to take surface parking and put it more into productive use. So the blocks that are around the, the parking decks do not have additional parking with them. Um, the other blocks, um, except for the, the arena, have parking that are incorporated with those designs. The idea, again, is to encourage multi-modes of transportation to activate the, the streets on the ground plane, and so you'll see there is on-street parking that is created with the streets. Um, but also to, to improve the utilization of not just those parking decks, but there are additional parking decks in the downtown area uh, itself in order to, to make that parking system uh, work, not only for the, the tourists and the residents and the office workers, so through a coordinated signage plan to understand wayfinding, how you get, how you get to the, the particular deck that you're looking for, what the best way to do that, but also to encourage um, folks to, to not park in surface parking lots so that those can be available for, for appropriate development. See, there is, a, there is a study that does provide this analysis. I mean, if it's an arena and a convention center, you have people coming from out of town, right? So it's not just those of us in the room that can just take the BRT or, or Uber in. But that show, and, it, and will the apartments have parking to those? Par the, parking, the apartments that are wrapping the parking deck, will they have parking within those parking decks? 
Yes, within the parking deck, not so, additional parking. So they took so baseline capacity today, yes, I can understand at least the evenings are underutilized. That's right. With the transfer of higher density apartments on any of the other blocks that, that now gain access, do we see some type of progression, like a tenure progression? And if what that looks like and do we need additional parking or is there sufficient parking? Um, on a tenure progression, I'm hesitant to say because of the way that that parking trends are going. So you all right. received a parking study from the Richmond 300 um, from Desmond that mm -hmm. talked about different parking yeah. strategies. Obviously, downtown is very different than Scott's Edition. It's very different than other neighborhoods in the city. Um, I think if you talk to the city transportation engineer, you know he sees a, a significant decline in people driving downtown in the in in the future, um, which is a trend that we see across the country. So. I can't speculate on 10 years, but we did do a parking analysis that was submitted with our original proposal, um, which I'm happy, it, it's on the city's website, but I'm happy to provide that. And that shows the utilization of the various parking um, facilities that, that currently exist. Awesome, I, I appreciate that, thank you. Questions from other members of the commission? I have a couple. Sure. With respect to the conditions precedent that are in the operating or the development agreement, they are binding on the EDA and the developer, correct? Well, there are two sets. So there are um, conditions precedent that are in the development agreement, and so the city doesn't permit financial close until. And then under the uh, arena lease, there's another set of conditions precedent as well as in the purchase and sale agreement. So the, the city has um, has the right to um, require that all 21 of those conditions precedent are satisfied prior to the, the bond closing. So there are actually two sets then. So under the under the development agreement on page 32, the city will not permit financial close on the bond until the following conditions precedent are achieved or weighed by the city or the EDA, and that, that identifies all 21 of those. And then again, if you get back into the arena lease itself, there are conditions precedent um, as well, as well as in the, um, in the purchase and sale agreement, so to make sure that at each stage, that much like um, when you have uh, reps and warranties that have to be have to be verified that the conditions precedent have to be verified and those all those components need to be in in place and in full force and effect so in the sales agreement do each of the conditions precedent have to be complied with before the deed is transferred uh, they have it, they're they're a little bit different so in the purchase and sale agreement all of the the conditions precedent, the 21, have to be achieved because you wouldn't be able to move forward unless you've moved forward under these. In addition, there are conditions precedent for each block. So if you were to, um, say, take down block C that required you to have the GRTC Transit Center before you um, moved on to take down another block, you would have to make sure that all the requirements that were in, that were there for the for block C have been have been achieved. So that's a, just another level of review and approval by the city to make sure that all of the conditions precedent have been achieved. But at what stage are the bonds issued? Uh, the bonds are not issued until the conditions precedent have been achieved for financial close. And so that's the, the 21 
that are identified in the development agreement, and then the, the cooperation agreement has a, has a separate reference to those conditions precedent as well. And so that includes the everything, again, if you think about from a, from a bond investor being very much aligned with the city, that, that is because they're only, the only thing to repay the bonds are incremental revenues if they exist, but the city has yet another layer of requirements that include things that are outside of that, which again require that, that core development that we talked about uh, last week in the development together with the debt and equity available in addition to the, the, the hotel flag documents, in addition to the room block agreement, other key components that were important to the city in addition prior to the bond closing. So simplistically put, the private equity money plus or minus $900 million has to exist and be in place prior to the issuance of any bonds. That is a, yes. Any other questions from members of the commission? Mr. Chair, thank you. Um, I want to thank you for the presentation. A lot of information and a lot of work that, uh, that we have to do. I guess what I'm seeking clar some clarification on is that there, I'm looking at the agenda and I'm looking at the number of ordinances and the resolutions that are listed here, which include resolution number 44, ordinance, and I'm just gonna list the last numbers, uh, 215, 16, 12, 13, 14, 17, 11, 18, 19. I'm trying to get some clearance on which one of these ordinances are coming directly to the Planning Commission for action. Sure, um, there was a, and I hopefully have it here handy. Um, if not, hopefully Mr. Evinger can help me. Um, so the, there, there are six total. Um, it's, I believe, 213. You can, maybe you've got it, and I can just rattle off the numbers. Um, so it deals with the right of way, I want the number and okay. what they deal yes. with so that I can make sure that I'm clear on that. Sure. What I'm trying to get to is that I realize that there's a lot of, all of the development is interconnected. Sure. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm clear on the particular papers that the, that this, that the Planning Commission needs to deal with and to be sure that I'm clear as to the request of the Planning Commission and the action that we need to take and the specific information that we need to know in order to act on these ordinances. And that's, uh, that's really what I'm trying to get Clarence to. I think that yes. the overall presentation has been very meaningful and very helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's important that the Planning Commission is focusing on specifically what ordinances we have to deal with and make sure that the information that we are needing to be clear on um, that we are addressing that. And whereas I appreciate all of the information that is being handed to us that um, a lot of the information as it relates to the financing of the deal as well as the information related to the overall development agreement, um, only to the extent that it impacts the decision that we have to make is what I'm trying to get some clarity on. Uh, we are trying to work within a time frame as it relates to what the Planning Commission action is going to be. 
And that if that action of the Planning Commission is critical and significant to us being able to move this development to the next stage of discussion to evaluate all of the terms and the condition in the development agreement. Um, but these are fundamental land use issues that are so critical to us making a decision on those. And so I think that um, so what I have before me is um, ordinance number 13, 213, 214, 215, 217, 18, 219. I would, Mr. Chair, if it's not too much to ask, I think just getting some clarification on exactly what these ordinances are Absolutely. and what they're asking for would be very helpful for me as we think through the process of uh, the timeline that we set for the Planning Commission to deal with these ordinances and making sure that we are appropriating time to significantly review each one of these ordinances. So if I could get some clarification on that, that would be helpful. Yes, ma'am, be happy to. Um, so I'll start with 213 and 214. So last week I took those together because those are declaring surplus and directing uh, the conveyance of the arena, which is block A1, uh, and then to declare surplus and direct the conveyance of the private development parcels pursuant to that purchase and sale agreement. Um, so if you see the, the screen, uh, in order to do that, those are related because Ordinance 215 comes into play. In order to, to create these parcels, we need to do certain things with the right-of-way, and that is to close certain sections. So if you see in red, um, that closes right-of-way. So these are portions of Lee Street here that get closed. Um, this is a portion of Clay Street that gets closed. This portion of 7th Street gets closed. And last week before you, you had a multicolored version of the, of the overall plan for the right-of-way closures as well as the dedications. So without doing those uh, closures and then the dedications, which the green um, reflects the, the minimum 10-foot pedestrian easement, um, the blue is a dedication, again, to straighten out 5th Street, straighten out 7th Street, reopen Clay Street, and reopen Clay Street here, and then reopen 6th Street, and this becomes the pedestrian easement area. Without doing those things, we don't have these parcels which are shown up on the screen. So those parcels then are created in order to allow for um, this parcel here, which will be become the arena parcel, to be uh, transferred to the Economic Development Authority, which would then enter into a lease for that parcel. Um, and then we move on to so, the... Oh, so sorry, let me interrupt you just a moment. Yes. Because I think it's important, for me, it's important that I'm clear what each ordinance is asking me to do. And when you run it all together without identifying, I want you to say 213 is for this purpose, 214 sure. will... Okay, so that yes. I'm clear as to exactly what I'm asked to do. Yes, ma'am. Uh, 213 directs the conveyance of the city-owned real estate, uh, known as 601 East Lee Street, to the Economic Development Authority. That is A1, which is this parcel that is shaded here. Okay, good. Uh, 214 declares surplus and directs the conveyance 
of certain parcels with the addresses identified to the NH District Corporation for the purpose of facilitating the redevelopment of the area that's generally bounded by East Lee Street, North 10th, East Marshall, and North 5th. Um, and so that is, again, these parcels I've identified here, which are the North of Broad parcels, because we, ha in order, these parcels don't exist yet. We have to create them um, pursuant to the other paper, which I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, and that is this paper, which is 2019-217. Um, oops, sorry. The 2019-217 is for the text amendment to the Coliseum Mall District. And again, this is um, this Coliseum Mall District is generally identified in the pink area. And so we are um, amending the, the, the text of the, the CM district, which has not changed um, very much since it was enacted in 1970, and that brings in those components that we talked about with the six tenants of the Pulse Corridor Plan, in addition to um, removing certain uses as principal uses, such as surface parking lots, adding in other principal uses, um, such as dwelling units, um, in addition to bringing that ordinance forward with um, the fenestration requirements that have been um, provided in more recent zoning districts, such as the TOD, so incorporating other uses and, and bringing in those requirements so that you do have that pedestrian-oriented development that is required under the regulations of the CM district. Right. Um, and then 2019-218 amends the official zoning map, and so behind you, um, that is what would be amended if the rezoning were to be adopted. So it would go from only the dark pink to the, um, the striped pink. So rezoning the parcels north of Broad from the striped is B4 currently, which is a business district, um, and rezoning those to the, the newly updated Coliseum Mall district regulations. Uh, and that is Ordinance 2019-219, which would actually um, affect the rezoning from B4 to CM for those parcels themselves. So uh, one follow-up question, Mr. Chairman. Sure. Right ahead. Um, is there a necessity for any of these ordinances that are before the Planning Commission to be taken in a sequential order um, to ultimately get us to the adoption of the um, ordinance number 19, which really confirms the total rezoning. And if we follow the order in which it's presented to us at the present time, would that is the order that we should go through these ordinances? this process. Uh, yes, ma'am. I, th I think the order that they have, they have outlined currently would be an appropriate order. Um, I think they make sense from the purpose of uh, actually what you, are, what you are authorizing with respect to transfers of the property. And then the second uh, piece is how the zoning district regulations are applied to the district um, and what the zoning district classification is. <clears throat> okay. So with that, uh, Mr. Chair, I guess my question is from the Planning Commission perspective as to how would we proceed with 
really uh, addressing and entertaining the ordinances that are before us. Um, and how does that process tie into the October 16th uh, date that we have a placeholder on? As I see it, and Mr. Secretary and Mr. Director, if you'll assist me on this, if there are further questions after today's meeting that we want to address to either to the developer or to the city staff, we can do that. Then the city staff would have their normal process of creating a staff report with a recommendation, yay or nay, that would be distributed to the Planning Commission more than several days before the 16th of October because of the complexity of this. And then if all of that occurs in that time frame, then we would be prepared to have a public hearing on these six papers on the 16th and then be prepared, if we see it as appropriate, to vote yes or no on each of these six ordinances. That a fairly simply put, but accurate way of how we're going forward with this? Yes, our, our goal is to have the staff report to you the first week of October, and the, the public hearing is the middle of October, October 16th, so our goal is to have the staff reports the, the first week of October to give you extra time to, to review those staff reports. And we're only considering these six ordinances. Correct. Any other aspects of this transaction are completely up to the City Council, not to the Planning Commission. And simplistically put, 213 deals with the, the land where the new arena would go. 214 is the surrounding property that's being conveyed to NH for private development. 215 is to close certain areas of the streets to make available the design that you've shown. 217 uh, actually revises the zoning ordinance for CM. 218 designates priority streets in accordance with the diagrams that you've shown to us. And 219 then adopts the CM district for these particular pieces of property. That's correct. So as a follow-up question, um, just to make sure I'm sure in the process now, we've had two presentations uh, basically on the overall development. Um, these papers are currently before the Planning Commission as they stand, but there's no recommendation or report from the staff as of yet. And so we're expecting the report from the staff as of the, the first week of October. So we are, are preparing them now and they will be um, available for, uh, for the commissioners the first week of October. We would also like to plan a tour of the site um, prior to the October 6th meeting to allow for the commissioners to, to better conceptualize how the development will, will look um, on, on the ground at the, the various locations of the development site. Okay. So when the your recommendation come back to the Planning Commission on the first meeting of the Planning Commission in October, which is what date is that? 
I believe we were looking at October 2nd as the, the date to have the staff reports published. That okay. would not be tied to any other meetings. That's the date that the agenda would be provided to you for the October 16th meeting with the staff reports attached to that agenda. So will there be any discussion at the October 2nd meeting based on the staff report or the ordinances go before us? I think that clearly uh, we would anticipate at any point in time asking questions, either at that meeting. I know that Ms. Cuppy Glenn has made her staff available at any time for any individual planning commissioner to call upon them for assistance. In addition, I know that Ms. Mullen and her staff would be willing to take either written or oral questions concerning any issue that any commissioner has. If any commissioner has any desire for direct one-on-one -on -one conversations with Ms. Mullen or with city staff, that can be arranged. Yes, all sir. hopefully to be done in, in so that we can be in a position to read the staff report as of the 2nd of October, then if there are further questions, ask those between the 2nd and the 16th, be prepared for a public hearing and a vote okay. on these six papers on October 16th. Okay, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Appreciate thank the you. clarification. Thank you. Any other questions on from members of the commission? Mr. Chair. Mr. Hep Buchanan. Um, first, I want to say thanks for providing these documents. I find them very interesting and helpful. Um, I'd like to get a better sense of what's planned for Lee Street, and there's been a lot of emphasis on Marshall and Clay, mm -hmm. but not as much emphasis on Lee. I was wondering if you had streetscape renderings for Lee Street, especially since there's been pretty dramatic changes in the design um, since this project was sure. initiated. Uh, so we don't have a rendering of Lee Street, but in your packet from last week, it included the cross-section, um, which I can go back and, and circle back with you on just so that you can understand the, the cross-section both at grade and then the pedestrian easement um, along the, the, the plane of the new development as well. Um, so we can, we can circle back on that piece also. So you have a, I think it was on an 11 by 17 in the, in the materials that were provided last week. Okay, I can go back and look at that. Um, do you have a sense of what will be done to Lee Street as part of this project versus smart scale funding that the city has been awarded? You know, not, I, I don't have a clear delineation on that would be depicted, so I'll circle back with the city's DP Department of Public Works and identify the, the smart scale components with, with the streetscape from, I believe it was Fifth Street to the MLK bridge, um, and then we can we can talk about which pieces are are also provided then as a part of the street, which on the south side of the street. Okay, that'd be very helpful. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you. For clarification purposes, Ms. Cuppy Glenn, if an individual commissioner wanted to meet with a member of your staff, are you the person to call? Is Ms. Ebert the person to call? Certainly, it depends on which department, because, you know, so many other disciplines are involved. Uh, but certainly for planning-related items. Just for these six papers. Uh, planning, you would work with Sharon Ebert and her staff, and, of course, the secretary and Mark Olinger. Very good. Mm -hmm. And for purposes of any questions that the commissioners might have for Ms. Mullen, 
Would you do us the favor of sending each of the commissioners your contact information? I'd be happy to. So that the, I know we get an, a lot of materials <laughs> from you, but just to make sure that we have that available in the event that any individual commissioner has questions. I will do that this afternoon. And if there are any questions that any of the commissioners have on the issues of the hotel issues that Mr. Berry presented on today, would you also send his contact information? I know, I know, I see him nodding okay, so yes. I'm trying to I, I will include his information when I send out the, the email. And I'm available at any time for any of you as it relates to questions that you have. And you've made that very clear each meeting, and, and, and I assure each commissioner that it's been my experience that when you ask Ms. Cuffey Glenn a question, you get your answer. Anything further from members of the commission? Mr. Secretary, do we have upcoming items? Uh, yes, just to clarify our upcoming items, there are several meetings to keep track of. We have our general business meeting October 7th. Uh, we have a variety of special use permits uh, to consider at that meeting, as well as it will be an opportunity to ask questions regarding the Navy Hill project, since you will have been able to look at the staff reports before, uh, before that meeting on October 7th. The public hearing, again, is slated for October 16th for the Navy Hill Redevelopment Project ordinances, and the Richmond 300 retreat, again, is October 30th. The one last item, um, if the commission so desires uh, to have a tour of the site, we can set a date for that special meeting. The um, uh, September 30th is the fifth Monday of the month, so there are no commission or council meetings. Um, that is a day that we do have parking available in City Hall, so we, we could look at 1.30th. Um, My only concern with that is that is a holiday. That's Rosh Hashanah. We need to be respectful of that, but um, it is a day that's open and available. Could you circulate a questionnaire to the members of the commissions as to when, when on that particular day, it might be, each of us might be available? Certainly. And we, we can meet at the observation deck for a, a fuller view of the area and then go to the, the specific sites of the, the overall project. Drinks and snacks and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ms. Chair, I, I do have one other announcement, and I know uh, Councilwoman Robertson did advise us at the last meeting that City Council was also looking at work sessions, so I think if we could get this out to the commissioners. Um, yep. Matthew, I think it'd be helpful for you to know that Council has added a series of work sessions regarding Navy Hill to their calendar uh, for the next couple of months. Yes, I, I can forward that to you. Directly. You'll just circulate that to us. That would be very helpful. Anything further from members of the commission? Anything else on our agenda, Mr. Evinger? Uh, that is everything for today. Very good. We're adjourned. <laughs> this is important stuff.